I love seeing the stories that are represented in that video, different seasons of people from our past as well. And I just want to celebrate this church has never been about individuals. It's been about a community on mission. And so, yeah, give it up for yourselves and all that God has done over the last 11 years. In fact, I want to do something. We only do this like at the birthday bash. How many of you have been coming here for at least a year or two? Uh, you've been coming here at least uh, quite a few, but you also you see a lot of hands not raised. So if you're brand new, welcome to the club. A lot of new people here at this church as God is reaching new people. Now, how many of you have been here at least four or five years out there? Yeah, yeah, okay. Anybody at this service, you've been there since like the College Avenue days. Like, oh yeah, okay, hey guys. Oh, a few of you in the back, a few of you in the back. Anybody been here since the school? Like five, seven, eight, oh yeah, the, there we go, the elders. You've been here since before the school. So can we give it up for some of those who have been around here seven, eight plus years? We don't do that enough, but it was the sacrifice of just a few people that led to kingdom advancement, and that's still happening in these new churches uh, that we're planning. Hey, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. You heard it said, we believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. The church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So if you walked on here, in here and you thought your hair was going to light on fire because you walked through the building of a church, we started this church for you. We can't wait to see what the Lord does during our time together. That said, will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now as well. Glad that you're here. Share this on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We're glad that you found us. Uh, in fact, if you are new with us this morning, I want to talk about the hope that we have in the local church. In fact, when I get into this, we're going to have a little fun this morning. I hope that's all right. And I love looking back at the stories of people who have sacrificed along the way and new friends that were made because new people were reached for Christ. And like, if you're here and you don't know anybody yet, welcome to isolated Western culture. And we want you to know that historically, for 2,000 years, the one place where people were not supposed to live alone, where we were to cross socioeconomic boundaries, ethnic diversity boundaries, cultural boundaries, and we'll use a big word, incarnationally invest in one another the way that Jesus did, the local church was to represent uh, the hope, I believe, of humankind. And so if you've been with us, we've been uh, studying over the last six weeks the book of Acts, the life of Paul, the way he did these missionary journeys, and I've got a follow-up message to that that you don't have to have heard the last six weeks to get. Would that be cool? And what I want to highlight is that the, the local church is meant to be the big, beautiful, multi multicultural, interconnected family of God. The one place in our isolated world where you see that occur. And I believe that Paul highlights that in Colossians chapter four. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on now. We're gonna have a little bit of fun here in a moment, but let's get into God's word. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that, we, uh, that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. So a little background here. This is at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, which was a place that he stopped along one of his missionary journeys. He took three missionary journeys. He planted churches. And this 
Paul was someone who used to be super far from God. So if you walked in here, you got stuff in your past. This guy used to persecute Christians, imprison them, oversaw the stoning and killing of Stephen, one of the first seven deacons of the church. You may be a bad person, but you're not as bad as he was. And yet he becomes somebody who writes a lot of the New Testament, starts churches all over the Roman Empire, and eventually finds himself imprisoned for his faith. And so as he's writing to them, he's writing to a culture in Colossae that was a place where mystery cults were heavily followed. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It means that the people of Colossae spent a lot of time on YouTube watching videos of all kinds of ideological or theological backgrounds and were often prey to struggle with spiritual questions. Not too different from our culture today. And he writes to them, he says, you've been looking for the truth. That's a good thing. And let me tell you where that truth resides. The mystery that you've been trying to solve, the mystery is found in Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, who gave his life for us. Verse four, he says, but pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, this good news. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. For those of you who have been uh, Christians for a while, you've been attending this church for a while, I wanna challenge you this morning that if the local church is the hope of humankind, and I believe it is, the one place where you see people break cultural backgrounds and actually love each other in the way that we are meant to live, if we're going to see that kind of love and compassion for one another, we're going to have to actually make outsiders feel like insiders. And we're going to have to make the most of every opportunity we have in this coming year to reach people for Christ. Now, I want to talk to you who may not be a Christian yet. You're sitting here today, and you don't know what you believe yet. You're here. You just Maybe a friend invited you. Thank you for having the courage to come out. We started this church for you. And you could be here for years and not believe the early disciples of Jesus belonged in his community before they even understood he was the Messiah or the Son of God. And as you're here today and you're asking questions, welcome to the family. You are no longer an outsider. You are an insider. Day one. Because we love you right where you're at. And what I want you to do this morning is to make the most of every opportunity this year to open yourself up to, to the idea that God may actually want a relationship with you. To make the most of every spiritual opportunity that you've been given. And I believe today is a big one. In fact, we had somebody respond at the last service and just got baptized right at the end of the service, and Pastor Greg got to dunk him, and I told him the water was warm. It's not. It's ice cold. <laughs> so I got him in there, and then when he came up, he couldn't breathe. It was awesome. But he, he surrendered his life to Christ and got baptized, and man, everybody just went nuts. And I, I believe we have seen over the last six weeks, we baptized, I believe, 17 people in a five-week period, five straight weeks baptizing people, and I believe God is up to something right now that we haven't seen even in the whole 11 years we've been doing this. He goes on, Paul says, and he says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You don't see that much in our culture today, do you? And that's what I want to talk about. The big thing I want you to take away, make the most of every spiritual opportunity you have this year. Will you pray with me? God, Man, I know, Lord, that you have something to share through your word and that the truth is I'm going to get in the way. 
So I pray right now, God, that whatever I have to say that's not of you would fall on deaf ears. I'm just another person trying to follow you, Jesus. And I, but what you have to say to us through your word, through your spirit, that it might speak right to our souls. The people took time out of a beautiful September morning to come into this space and, and, and are opening themselves up that not only you might be real, but that you have something to share with to them. Speak to us, young, old, everything in between, Lord, different demographics, socioeconomic statuses coming together. We want to hear from you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I love what Paul is doing here in this letter. He's going to tell some stories of people that he has relationships with. And in my household, my wife knows, my kids know, I love to tell a story. In fact, I love to tell the same stories over and over again. Who's with me? Come on. And what I find in life, so many people, uh, you're going to die and you're going to have like the worst stories in the world. You know, some of the, the reasons for living life is to get to have great stories. I love to tell stories. Like one time when I'm going to have a little fun this morning because it's a birthday celebration. Is that what, that's what we do. Is that cool? I mean, we got a disco ball in the room, so we're going to have a little fun. I, one time I was in China with some friends. That's a random story. But I was there and we found out that the U.S. women's soccer team who won the gold medal was doing a rematch against the, the Chinese women's team who had gotten the silver medal the year before in a brand new 100,000-seat stadium that was two minutes down the road from the hotel we were staying in. So we thought, let's go to the game. So we bought cheap tickets in the upper deck. But my buddies and I, three of us, we were like, hey, there is open seats. We got there super early, open seats right behind in the front row of the stadium, right behind the, the U.S. bench. Let's go down there and sit there until somebody kicks us out of those seats. So we went down there and we sat there and the game started and no one ever kicked us out of our seats. It was awesome. We're sitting there. It's a close match. The women's team, uh, we had said hi to them at the hotel, and so they recognized us, and I think they didn't want to talk to us, so they just waved quickly, like, hey, what's up? And so all the, the Chinese people that were with us thought that we knew the U.S. team. <laughs> so the next thing we know, cameras were coming over and filming us for the local's news station, and then it went down to a shootout at the very end, and it was tied in the shootout, and with the last kick, right before they cut to the kick on the Jumbotron, they put our faces up there for everybody to see. It was amazing. In fact, one guy came over, and he thought we knew the team so much. He's like, in broken English, he said, can you get their autographs? And my buddy Bob was like, yeah, sure thing, and he takes it, and he writes me a ham on it, and he hands it back to the guy. Right? Like, I've told that story so many times. There's a, a horrible part to that story, too. We found out after the match, the other 17 friends of ours who were up in the upper deck that didn't have the guts to go down there, they told us that actually armed guards had told the people with the tickets they weren't allowed to sit there and kick them out. So I felt very bad about that. But, right, like when you have stories, it's fun to share them. One time I was in Ghana, Africa, and we're celebrating this morning. It's a birthday party. And uh, I was there doing a service project, and I had some friends of mine that were on the Anderson University basketball team who had taught me a particular dance when I was working with students in the summer. Anybody from AU here in the room? One person. That's great. You and I really clicked. There's, <laughs> there are others that didn't raise their hand. I know there is. And they taught me this dance called the Far Eastern. It's actually a stretch. I'm going to do it for you. 
Don't judge me. It's a birthday celebration. It's okay. It starts like this, and I'm going to try and do it with the microphone, but the music's going, right? You got a little beat to it, and you starts with the stretch, and then there's some of this that happens, and then there's a lot of other moves. But the key part of the, the dance is this. At the very end, it goes like this. One hand goes... Okay, now, I'm in a small village in the middle of nowhere. Thank you. They, they actually threw things at the last service, so I'm glad that you guys appreciated that. I, I was in this African village in, in Ghana, and a, a buddy and I did that dance in front of about 500 people at a celebration. And the whole week long, I had Ghanaians driving by in cars on dirt roads, hanging out the window going... <laughs> and laughing at us. It was awesome. And so I love a good story, but you know what's better than a funny story? The types of stories I just described? Because I'm convinced some of us, when we get to heaven, when we are dead, we're going to have the most boring, lame stories in the world. And be like, yeah, I sat in the upper deck in the back row, and it was a really boring soccer game. Some of us aren't going to have spiritual stories to share. Stories of meaningful relationships and friendships. The Bible tells us that life is really about relationship with God and relationship with other people. I'll tell you one more quick story, and we're going to get back into Colossians 4. Yesterday, my son had a big tennis match, and it's not about my son's sports. I want to talk about one of our student leaders and Mercy students named Dylan. He's in his 20s. He recently started participating, and Jake was in. It's the biggest match of the year for their school. He was losing in his first match, and then Dylan showed up. And Jake got encouraged, and he went out, and he actually came back and won that match. He won like 12 or 13 straight games. He ended up winning the whole tournament and helped their team, more importantly, win the entire team uh, tournament in the city of Carmel. And yeah, you can celebrate that. But I'm sharing that because here's a 20-something-year-old who's a volunteer leader in our student ministry who gave up almost his entire Saturday to come and encourage a 13-year-old at a tennis match. That Sometimes we think the stories we're going to have are going to be the big, grandiose stories that people love to hear and laugh at, and I love to tell them, but the truth is some of our greatest stories will come from the simple acts of relationships where we prioritize God first, others second, ourselves third. And it's because of that that relationships, friendships, mentoring, disciple-making actually occurs. Here's what I want to ask you this, this morning is, what stories will you be telling when you're dead? Right? We don't know if it'll be 100 years. We don't know how long it'll be, but we all have that moment. So what stories will you... Some of you are like, I won't be telling stories because I'll, I'll, I'll be dead. No. I believe that the Bible teaches that there is things that occur afterwards. Those who have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus, that they go to be with Jesus upon death. They're in, in perfect harmony with God for the first time in their life, and that one day Jesus will return and heaven and earth will come together and those who have surrendered their life to Jesus because of his crucifixion, resurrection, that they can have new life, that they will, we will live together in perfect relationship with God and other believers 
for all of eternity in paradise, and that those who choose to reject God and his grace and his mercy and his salvific work on the cross upon death will be given what they have desired, which is to be separated from relationship with God which the Bible describes as a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth of eternal death. And I'm not sharing that to scare you. I'm saying as a pastor reading scripture, I believe there is a reality that occurs after we have physically died. And so the stories we have will be all that we can take with us. And I believe that what you see in Colossians 4 is someone who's going to have a lot of stories. He's going to have one stories of relationships. I'm going to move quick i got three simple points for you this morning. He's going to have stories of relationships. Look, look at uh, verse 7 with me. So after he lays the groundwork at the end of this letter about living with grace and mercy, he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Because Paul's in chains in prison at this point. He is a dear brother. Now, most of you don't know who Tychicus is. You don't even think you can pronounce that correctly. I'm not sure I'm even doing it right. But he was a dear friend, a dear brother, Adelpha, a dear brother to, to Paul, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. The type of relationship that I believe can only be formed when, when Christ is at the center of it. The type of relationship with them when you're in prison and the rest of the world is looking down upon you, that he's caring for you, helping meet needs, relaying stories and letters to the other churches that exist out there. He says, verse 8, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. I know he says you've heard that I'm in prison, but I'm okay because the Lord is with us and he has provided great community to care for me when I've needed it. So many people in our culture live completely isolated lives, particularly in suburban culture. We build fences for our fences so that we can have more time alone for people not to bother us. And I would argue that the role of the local church is to be the one place where we have actual stories of relationships of people caring for one another. The question I have is, who are you caring for and who is caring for you? Because I'll tell you, when we don't open ourselves up to relationships, sometimes we miss out on the greatest part of the local church. You know, I'll give you an example. I've got some friends of mine, many stories of friendships that I've developed just strictly through Mercy Road Church. And I could go on and on about them. Some of them didn't know Jesus. I'll share one of them. Um, I didn't ask him for permission, but that's why we're friends. And my friend David, he was agnostic, started attending at College Avenue, uh, wasn't a follower of Jesus, began to meet with me, We'd meet one-on-one. -on -one. We did for a couple of years. He called it a small group. It was just the two of us, but we talked about every spiritual question out there. And eventually he got to the point where he decided to give his life to Christ. He actually got baptized when, after we moved into this building in that tank right there. He became a, a volunteer on our usher team, led a mission trip for us, and then also became a dear friend of mine, a brother in Christ. And all of those things, we come from different backgrounds. He was of Jewish descent. We came from, we're not even in the same age bracket, to be honest with you. But that's what happens in the local church. Where we cross barriers that people won't cross in the real world. Where rich and poor hang out. Black and white. Different, 
uh, ethnic backgrounds, different countries, different nations coming together because at the center of our community is Christ. And so when you see Paul's letter to the church in Colossae where they're turning to mystery cults, he's saying, you need to know the truth about the real answer to your questions is found in the mystery of Christ. And when you understand that, wait till you see the community that forms around that. You're going to have stories of relationships. Number two, you're going to have stories of redemption. Look what happens next. He is coming with Onesimus, this guy Tychicus. And, and we hear these names. It's like, ah, that doesn't mean anything to me. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, another brother in Christ, who is one of you. He says he's one of you, but he's not telling the whole story. We know that in the letter to Philemon that Paul writes, Onesimus is actually the slave of Philemon who he had come to Christ and he writes to Philemon and says, now this is different than slavery in American culture. This type of slavery was you chose to sell yourself into indentured servitude. And he comes to him, he says, but no longer see this man as a slave. He is our friend in Christ. He tells Philemon to, allow, to see him like everyone else, not as the world sees him. And so this friendship is born, and he writes to Colossae. He says, include them in the inside, not in the outside. He's one of you. That's what happens in the family of God, the big, beautiful, multicultural, interconnected family of God. This would have been ground-shaking in their culture, but that's how we live when we follow Jesus. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner then, our, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. What I love about this as well is he talks about Mark, and then he mentions Barnabas which might not seem that significant, but do you remember the last time Paul was hanging out with Barnabas? See, Barnabas and Paul were the first two set aside to go out and tell people about Jesus, and they traveled around on that first missionary journey, and they get back, and, and, he, and Paul felt like Barnabas abandoned them. And so he says, you're not coming the next time. You gotta leave. You go your way. I'm going my way, and we're not gonna talk to each other anymore. And yet here in this letter, he mentions Barnabas, that at some point in time, there must have been some type of reconciliation that occurred between Paul and Barnabas. The very people, I believe, that when you see the forgiveness of Christ, that we have to learn to forgive one another as followers of Jesus. That part of following Christ is redemptive relationships, redemptive stories of how God reconciles people to one another. Literally, the word reconcile means to restore a friendly relationship. In our culture, we tell people, if somebody wrongs you, you separate yourselves and you blame them for the rest of your life. They're the bad person, you're the good person. Now look, I'm not telling you not to create healthy boundaries if there's certain uh, uh, relationships in your life that you need to walk through carefully. But what I'm saying is that a follower of Jesus, that reconciliation has to be the center of our relationships that God can redeem any marriage. He can redeem any friendship. He can redeem any family relationship. And that one of the beautiful things is in the local church where the rest of the world just says, ah, oh, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. We actually see healing. We see stories happen that don't happen other places. 
where the rest of the world is going to fight about politics and going to fight about every single aspect of our culture and sound off on each other on social media. We are going to choose as followers of Jesus to be the reconcilers in the world, the peacemakers that draw one another together rather than separate apart. Different backgrounds culturally, different backgrounds socioeconomically, because Christ is at the center of our relationships. And get this, he doesn't just redeem relationships one one another. He redeems relationships with God. And some of you are here today and you have done this with God for a while. And he doesn't hate you for it. He still loves you. And he is calling you home. And he wants to reconcile that relationship with you. And I want to share one story of a woman that is up here leading us in worship. She's going to lead the song out of the message this morning, Brooke. She was a professional country singer who had really rejected God in her life. And I'm going to allow him or her to share her words this morning of how God redeemed her relationship with him. Let's watch this together. Before coming to Mercy Road, I was in a place that is unfathomable. Um, I was so broken. I um, started using substances um, to numb out and just to be to be somebody different. The pressure of being a country music singer, trying to make it, was so hard on my life and me not feeling worthy or good enough. I I would just take about anything that someone offered me to be able to be somebody else. My addiction led me to places that I just never, ever, ever believed I would go. God spared me so many times. In 2017, I overdosed on fentanyl um, and was on life support for two and a half days. My family was prepared to never, like, to never see um, their sister, their daughter, their cousin again. I honestly felt invincible um, because I never got caught. And I, as an addict, I knew exactly how to manipulate and, and be whoever I needed to be um, in that moment. And because of that, I just lived life as if I was invincible until I wasn't. By the grace of God, He intervened. Um, and I got arrested and served three and a half months in jail, which was, um, the best thing that could have ever happened to me because that's when I finally felt finished after 10 years of trying to get sober and trying um, to change because I always knew deep down like the genuine Brooke, um, the, the genuine Brooke that the Lord created me to be didn't want any of the things I was doing. Like I didn't want to be doing the things I was doing. I just, I didn't know a different way. It was in a jail cell that I found the Lord. Um, I always knew He was there, but I really, really was desperate for the Lord. I had tried, tried rehab so many different times, um, and like the traditional 12-step way, just all different types of treatment um, over the years, just trying, trying to get better and trying to be healed. And I started coming to Mercy Road when I was still in inpatient rehab, which is so wild to think about just where I was a year ago in my relationship with God and in my relationship with my family. I looked forward to coming and showing up. I did Rooted, um, coming to Rooted and like opening up in a small group like that of quote unquote church people and like actually telling them these crazy and insane things that I did. 
um, in my past and just having them accept me for me and love me. Just this church like has made me feel so welcome um, and not ashamed of, of who I was and there's nothing that I feel like I can't share with anyone here and they won't help me through it. That's truly like why I'm able to stay in such a good place today because it's it's all about building a community. I have a group of people at this church that will not let me fall because they love me too much to let that happen. So that's what I'm celebrating this year. I'm so happy it's Mercy Road's birthday and we're gonna celebrate and it's gonna be so much fun. I love hearing Brooke's story. I know there are a lot of other stories here today that may be different, but have similar stories of redemption. It was so cool uh, walking in here. You know, Brooke's mom was at the last service, and she'd tell you that because of the impact in Brooke's life, it made an impact spiritually in her life, and that's how God works. And so if there's anybody here today that has an experience that I want to close by telling you about the amazing nature of the local church, that... The third and final point, you don't just have stories of redemption, you have stories of revival that crosses cultural boundaries that we don't dare cross. In verse 11, it says, Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. So we got justice. These are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, number two, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it also is read in the church of Laodiceans that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus to see, number five, that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this in my own hands. And throughout the letter, there are six different people that are mentioned, three of them Jews and three of them Gentiles. And in that culture, Jewish people weren't supposed to hang out with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, who most likely came from Roman or Greco-Roman descent, were considered higher and above them status symbols, so they shouldn't be hanging out with the lower Jewish community either. And yet Paul is writing from a prison cell that the type of community most of us desire today in our culture that have freedom and all these things at our fingertips that we never experience it. He experiences it while he's alone in a prison cell because he has community that cares about him and that he cares about. And they come from totally different backgrounds. And people are witnessing and experiencing the type of loving, Christ-centered community that they can't find anywhere else in the world. The power and the authority to change things is first and foremost biblically found in the local church. And then when Christ is at the center and his spirit is followed, we are empowered to actually change things around us. So if you're here today, man, and you're all alone, I want to tell you, you don't have to be. You belong day one. You are not an outsider here. We love you where you are at. We're going to challenge you, encourage you, help you grow in your faith. We're going to tell you what we believe the truth of Scripture teaches, but we're also going to say we offer the grace and mercy of love that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us on the cross. 
And for those of you who have not experienced that, the big, beautiful, inner, uh, multicultural, interconnected family of God, we can actually see things differently today in our society and culture because of the work of Jesus and his local church. And he writes this saying, remember my chains, but it's the grace of God that is sufficient for me. Look at that final verse, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. Grace, or the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, it means that the, the, the grace of God and all of his spiritual gifting is upon you and with you right where you're at, no matter what your background or your story is. Here's a guy, Paul, that is going to have some stories to tell when he's dead. Stories of friendships and relationships, stories of redemption, stories of revival that have occurred in demographics where it's not supposed to happen. Do you know that we are literally seeing that today in our life? We baptized now 18 people in the last six or seven weeks. We're five straight weeks baptizing people, but through the Mercy Road family of churches, through Multiply Indiana Church Planting Network, we helped start to plant churches outside of our, our way of doing church to just say, let's reach people with the gospel throughout the state. We've planted uh, 22 churches. We're about to plant. We just agreed to plant two more. We may plant three more in addition to that by the end of the year. We, we, we had... At, March for a million that happened last year, we saw more churches, more people come out, more people come to Christ, and we have even bigger plans for what that could look like in 2023. I want to ask you that question, what story will you have when you're dead? If you understand the grace of God and his grace is sufficient for you, if you're here today and you felt like an outsider because you got the stuff that has been done to you or you did and you've experienced pain and suffering and you've made choices that have separated you from God and you feel like you could never be one of those good Christians, you got to read the New Testament. It's full of people who were far from God. He redeems them and different people groups. He draws them together and he creates loving community that we all desire, we all long for, but we never experience and I want to tell you that we could plant all the churches in the world, but it starts, the fuel for the fire is that we love each other well as a Christian community, that we're there caring for one another beyond just superficial things on the weekend. It's stories like Dylan who takes time out of his entire weekend to go hang out with a 13-year-old because he wants to show him the loving community of Jesus Christ. This church is full of people who, when empowered, could live on mission in that way, relationally having stories to tell for all of eternity. I know I'm a little fired up, but it's 11 years of this, and I believe God is doing more now in this state than he ever has before. And I know that there's at least one person here. You know the grace of God. You know the, the story of the local church, but you have yet to dull the pride enough, and no fingers pointed, to surrender your will to his. And I just want to read this verse as we close out in Luke 9, verse 23. This is Jesus. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of his holy angels. I believe that after we die, we, we go one of two places and it's determined on whether or not 
we could have the humility to surrender our life to him as Lord, to believe and receive his work on the cross and resurrection for the grave, that you don't have to be alone, that you can have the type of Christian community in the local church that you've desired your entire life. But like Brooke did, she got baptized on our birthday bass last year, the 10 year up in Anderson. And I want to tell you this morning, I believe somebody this morning is going to surrender their will, his or her will, over to the Lordship of Jesus and choose to follow him in the act of baptism. We had one person do it at the last service. We don't have any plan. Nobody may come up. I don't know. But I want to tell you this morning, don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ for your life because he is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of you on whatever background you've come from but we have to have the humility to open ourselves up to it. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for those right now that maybe have been Christians for a while, but they've begun to turn from you. And our culture has become increasingly popular to talk negatively about the local church and about what you do and don't do in the world. But yet, God, whether we recommit our life this morning or for those who are, are, are new to Christianity, that they just open themselves up not even say they got it all understood yet, but they open themselves up to surrender over to you, to know you, to understand you. If you're here in the room right now and you're like, I don't want to be ashamed of him. I know he's not ashamed of me. And you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I invite you to do it right now, silently, as I pray out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I'm sorry I've been doing life in broken relationship with you, even at times directly rejecting you in my life. So I do this beautiful act. I repent of that, God. I turn to you. I run to your loving arms and I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. Pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.